What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Episode 208 is a positive one. For the first time in a month, the Mets have won a series, beat the San Francisco Giants. I know, like, things aren't perfect right now. There's still a lot of work to be done. Like, this is by no means like a woo, we're back kind of thing. But boy, oh boy, does it feel good to not only win a couple games in a row for the first time in a really long time, but also win a series for the first time in a month and just be playing some better baseball than we saw all of the month of June. We're going to talk about this or every single game in this giant series. Talk a little bit about June too. Just kind of put it in the rearview mirror, forget about it, start playing some good baseball again. You guys know the drill here. Make sure you're following us on all our social media at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube version of this, go to the New York Mets YouTube channel and subscribe over there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, whatever it is, drop us a rating, drop us a review. Make sure you download and subscribe the podcast. We really do appreciate it. James, a little bit of a Zoom episode here. So it was a late night in New York. We had some rain in the forecast. John was running the show for like the, the scoreboard and everything today. How are we feeling uh, at home doing a home episode at home? It feels nice. I mean, definitely would have been a cool night to be in the ballpark just because, I mean, besides the rain at the end, just because it was a good, like, solid Mets victory. But, you know, Vito's had a wedding, too. We would have had to do a lot more, uh, put a set up and put away. It was, it was a good, good night to get everybody home and like, get this episode ready to go. Okay, also, because yeah. we got flexed even kind of recently to ESPN on a day where there were not not many other, like, really, you know, good baseball games. Like, I don't think I don't think Spencer Strider faced Sandy Alcantara. I'm pretty sure the Astros didn't face the Rangers. And uh, yeah, I don't think there were any other. Kevin Gaussman didn't face the Red Sox. Really, no other games that could have been on Sunday Night Baseball. So uh, glad it was us on ESPN. Otani facing Zach Gallen. Wouldn't want to see that. Yeah, one either. no, weird one. No, we don't need that. But yeah, good, good to have the Mets and the Giants on there. We'll say would have loved to have been out of my apartment. Uh, no AC. I know you guys have been hearing me complain about AC for like the last three or four episodes now. But uh, when I got back, England, we know no AC. Got back to my apartment, no AC. It's eighty-two degrees and it's just as humid inside as it is outside. It's an awful feeling. I washed my face before we got on here because I was glistening, and I might be glistening already again. It's been a miserable day inside uh, the Luino apartment here, but we we push on, we push on, and luckily we got some Mets wins to talk about, which makes it a whole lot better when it's feeling sweaty and sticky in here because at least it can put a little bit of a smile on my face, which is nice. Definitely. Before we get to the wins, I do want to start with Friday night, put June to bed because Friday night – was another disappointing loss for the Mets, especially relative to the entire series because we did find, wind up winning the next two games and winning the series, like you said. But one, one thing, Friday night game did start well, and it was Carlos Carrasco having a good start, one of his best starts in the last month. He had 18 swings and misses in this game. That was his third most as a Met, and the most he's had in a full calendar year since you guys, as the top moment you guys are listening to it. He had a 19 on July 3rd of last year, and it'll be July 3rd when this goes up Monday morning and his fastball, his slider and his changeup all had at least five swings and misses. And he's really kind of seemingly just putting himself like kind of back into the picture. He was a little bit more so back in the day where he had a little more velocity. He doesn't have the most velocity now, but he's throwing more fastballs up in his own and he didn't throw one sinker on Friday night. That was the second straight start where Carlos Carrasco hasn't thrown a single sinker. And now he hasn't thrown a sinker in five of his last seven starts. His changeups were all the way to the lefties. His sliders were all the way to the righties. It was like a very pretty pitch, pitch log of this game. A little, you know, a little pitch chart. Yeah, I feel like if it wasn't for the Wilmer Flores home run, it would have been like an unbelievably good start for Carlos Carrasco. Like there were definitely a lot of good positive things to pull. Like you said, it was just like that Wilmer home run that kind of left people a little bit confused because like, we obviously know that Wilmer Flores has like a huge soft spot in Mets hearts. I'm sure 
he has one in mine. I'm sure he has one in yours too. He's just one of those like all time cult classic legends for this team. So it's always weird to see him hit a home run against the team. It was a little okay because, like, you know, on the estimate, he was doing me a little bit of a favor there too. But, yeah, I mean, Carrasco, if the team wants to continue to play good baseball, if they want to continue to try and get hot and make a push for the wild card, which is pretty much the most realistic option at this point, going to need a guy like Carlos Carrasco to be able to come out every five days and give us a quality start like he did. Yeah, the the sound of the Wilmer home run was really funny because there was, like, some feigned cheers and also just a lot of, like, silence like no one in the ballpark is upset because also i think a big part of the cheers are the giants fans travel incredibly well every single yeah. year when the giants come to city field there's always a complete cohort of giants fans that always will uh gather on that um on that third base line and they're often wearing the exact same colors as mets fans it's lots of black and orange which is basically the color that most mets fans wear these days besides blue so it's kind of hard to tell sometimes where they are and where they aren't but yeah that was that was a, it was a weird moment also jeff mcneil up in a three hole in this game had two RBI doubles, really nice to see him have a couple extra base hits. He had a couple more hits later in the series. He had a couple hits on Thursday night. So a little, little moment for Jeff here. We're swinging the bat a little bit better. Needs that after he got a very cold June, which we'll touch on in a second. And then uh, Jeff Brigham, had, I don't know, Brooks Raley and Jeff Brigham held it together a little bit, but then David Robertson gave, wound up giving up the game-winning home run yeah. to Patrick Bailey. And this was felt like more of a continuation of the week that was at this time. And it was really disappointing. There was, again, as we've said many times, it was like quite literally a low point in the season because it was the most games under 500 the Mets had fallen to this year. Pete Mayonera right before it as well. And it was just, it was not a great moment in Flushing that night. No, it hurt. Uh, I was at a wedding, uh, my best friend's sister's wedding. Shout out to Annalisa. Congratulations, Annalisa and Tyler on being married. And I think that's what you call it. Yeah, getting married. But uh, I was watching this one a little bit on the phone in between the reception and having some drinks and dancing a little bit there. And all of a sudden you see like Tommy Pham hit that home run to put them up. I think it was 4-2 at the moment. And then like just like that, it was ripped out from you, punched in the chest, whatever, whatever expression you want to say. And it's 5-4 from a guy, David Robertson, like you said, who's just been so good, so consistent all year long. Someone we've been wanting to pitch more and more in these big situations earlier in the game. And to give up the home run to Patrick Bailey, just it really just sucked the absolute life out of me. I was like, oh, man, I need, I need another beer. I can't, I can't look at this right now. Yeah, but out of that moment came like kind of a questionable part of the night. And I do want to shout out because it did kind of wind up making national news. Anthony DeComo, who's like, uh, famed, beloved Mets beat writer, usually does incredible work. He he let out a tweet that said, someone named Patrick Bailey just hit a two-run home run to give the Giants, a three-run home run to give the Giants the lead over the Mets. And I think a lot of the Mets fans who were kind of like a little more angry and a little top top reply type people were like, yeah, ridiculous. Who the hell is Patrick Bailey? And I think that I think that part of what Tacoma was doing, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there, was trying to get the clicks and lean into those type of Mets fans who aren't really full like baseball observers. However, I think it should be noted. It was noted at length the next couple games of the series because of how many how the rounds that tweet made. Patrick Bailey is uh, is a major talent and someone who every single beat reporter, baseball writer, baseball content maker, any baseball fan should be very aware of. And even just his impact so far in only 35 games of the Giants. He's already been worth almost two wins above replacement per fan graphs. He has a 140 WRC plus. That's 40% better than league average. He has five home runs in 35 games. The guy at 26 RBIs in 35 games. I believe the Giants were, um, I think that, I think it was at the now after the loss here. I think it's 21 and, I want to say 21 and 14 since he came up. I think it was 21 and 13 before the game. I could be wrong on that. You could double check my math. But that was that was a, a, a rare off-color moment for Tacoma. Yeah, uh, Patrick Bailey, first-round pick back in 2020 out of NC State. 
like a very, very highly touted catcher, like a, a highly regarded prospect, more so on the defensive side. Defensively, he looks great. That was always what he was best known for. But he's swinging the bat a lot better at the major league level than he even ever swung it in the minors. He's also one of those weird guys who just had very little time outside of above A ball. He played 14 games in double A, to which they said, yeah, you're good enough. Go up to triple A. Only played 14, 14 games there. Struggled, and they were like, ah, whatever. Just come up to the majors. We need somebody. Like, Joey Bart's not cutting it. That guy stinks. So they brought him up. They called him up aggressively, and he's been paying off. Like you said, he's not just some dude named Patrick Bailey. He's a very, very good player. I don't think he's going to be a 300 average guy hitting with an 886 OPS for his career, but I feel like the Giants have been desperately looking for like that that catcher to take over for this team ever since Buster Posey left, and it seems like Patrick Bailey very much is going to probably be that guy. Yeah, and it, it even stayed hot enough for Eduardo Perez to reference a pregame on ESPN on Sunday to a national yeah. audience for them to go in at length about Patrick Bailey. J.D. Davis had comments about Patrick Bailey. I think they called him either Patty Bombs. They had to all call him Patty Bazooka as well, which is kind of a funny one because I think he's also thrown out already double-digit base runners in only 35 Can. games. Can. Yeah, and we, we saw that to end this game now. They bring it back here because Starling Marte, who got a day off after a brutal, brutal game on Thursday night, too late uh, – two laid outs, a double play and a strikeout with men on base in that Thursday game against the Brewers, which really just cut like a knife. Came off, came off the bench cold to pinch run in the ninth inning for, I believe it was Brett Beatty, and was caught stealing on Patrick Bailey. It was a pitch out, and he just threw a complete missile right on the base, the second base, to get him by an inch. And that hurt. That was the Mets' first caught stealing since May 10th. They've been one of the most efficient base-stealing teams in baseball. Mike Petrillo had a tweet about him last week, basically like, the Mets are so efficient base-stealing, they should probably steal more bases. And <laughs> yeah, he probably is right about that. Then right after that, they got caught stealing here basically to end the game. And it hurt. It hurt a lot. It was uh, another another low moment in a low season so far. Yeah, it was telegraphed a little bit. I mean, the, the speed Oh, guy, I mean, it was per- obvious yeah. it was happening, wasn't it? Who, who are you fooling? No, and like even, I mean, the, the pitch out and everything. I don't even know how you handle that. I don't know if you're supposed to wait. It's so confusing when you get late in the game, especially because like you only have so many strikes, only have so many outs. Yeah. What you're going to do there uh, sucks that end that way. Like you said, though, June, that's June. Let's put a, let's put a, a nice little cap on June here because it was bad. And let's just get all the bad out, right? Let's just yeah. let's just start saying the things so we can forget about them. Seven and nineteen record, didn't win a single series. Mm-hmm. It's one of the worst months in Mets history. I mean, you guys know the drill from here on out. They dropped a lot of games. Wasn't good, but you know what? That's June. Who cares anymore? It's July now. It's a new. It's a new month. It's a new year. I don't know. Definitely. Uh, yeah, this new month, new year. It was it was a bad month. Only the Royals won less games. Um, oh. We lost nineteen games. Miami, oh. Philly, and Atlanta combined for twenty. Um, we lost a lot of games in the division in the wildcard standings. I'm not going to say how many games, so I want to make you guys that sad. Um, we also held the lead in a lot of the losses. The number was 13 out of 19 losses. Mm. We did hold the lead. Um, and like like a lot, of, a lot of, Some players played very well in June, though. Like Brandon Nemo had seven home runs. Tommy Famlin each had six home runs. Max Scherzer was seventh in baseball, 26.8% strikeout minus walk rate. Shout out Jeff McKitts. He loves when I talk about strikeout minus walk sick. rate. Yeah, all that stuff was going on. We still couldn't find a way to win these games. I mean, McGill and Carrasco, both at ERAs in the sixes. Jeff Brigham came crashing back to earth, basically same amount of walks and strikeouts with a six ERA. Uh, Pete, OPS, Pete McNeil and Alvarez all had OPSs below 600. It was quite bad. And and it was also just bad in like retrospect, looking at the other teams we were even close to in a lot of these stats because like we... <laughs> Our pitching, I felt like, and I think everyone would agree, probably was the thing that held this team back mostly in June. Our starting pitchers pitched the same amount of innings as the Atlanta Braves starting pitchers and had a better ERA in the month of June. And they I did it on my water. Yeah, they did what they did, and we did what we did. Our bullpen also was like had the tenth worst ERA in the league, not even that bad, four point four, like better ERA than the Astros and the Dodgers. 
And like our on-base percentage as a team was like, it was bad. Even though our home runs were quite good. Seventh worst on-base percentage, but seventh most homers. And we were 20, the only cost stealing we had the whole month was the one that last moment was Charlie Marte. <laughs> like it was such a bizarre month of Mets baseball. And a lot of people compared it to the June of 2018 after Mickey Callaway had the very hot start early. And then the team completely created in June where they went five and 21, which was somehow <laughs> worse. But just one of those months where we felt like, things will go right and then anything could go wrong and it went wrong but had to just get that all out there just kind of like flush the toilet on june yeah, say spew. all those bad things yeah and now let's move on to july because july is just it's going to be a good month for us mets fans it's going to be a good month and it started out really nicely with a really 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 good justin verlander start on saturday afternoon the four o'clock start you were at the game the twilight baseball best time of day for a baseball game and again verlander looked amazing yeah, no, it was great being at the stadium. Me and my dad went to the game. My mom, she she backed out last minute. She was tired. She didn't want to make it. It's all right. Listen, my mom's been to a lot of games. It's it's impressive that uh, Mrs. Luino has made it to that many. But me and my dad went out there, sat in some traffic. So it, was, it wasn't off to a hot start. Sat in a little traffic. GW was just backed up for like 45 minutes, which is never fun. But we got there. And like you said, Justin Verlander from pitch one was just on. He was precise. He was aggressive. There weren't a lot of wasted pitches. And he was just attacking batters, making the Giants hitters like just look feeble, look weak, look like the Giants hitters that they truly are. I know they have some decent numbers, but come on. There's like nobody in this lineup that actually f instills fear into your hearts. Totally. And Verlander did something in this start that I referenced a few starts ago. He threw more sliders than fastballs. Second time this year he's done that, yet only the fifth time his entire career he's done that. So it's definitely an adjustment for Verlander as he is like finding a new repertoire now and it's working. Eleven he got um eleven to fifteen whiffs were on those sliders, and his fastball did look better, kind of falling into a bit more of a secondary role. Still didn't get the swings and misses that we're used to of him but it did have a little bit more carry on a little bit more hop an inch more of rise is the exact way to put it. And they still 94% contact rate for the giants in the zone and only chase 19% of them. So he's still not exactly getting that like the movement on it that we're used to seeing Justin Verlander get where guys are going to go out of the zone to go after it. But the results were amazing. Seven innings, six strikeouts, no earned runs, not a lot of trouble, just a really good casual Justin Verlander game that we've all come to expect over the last decade plus of watching Justin Verlander pitch. We got a stat here from Johnny Stats here. Because if Mets fans, I feel like you probably noticed that Justin Verlander's pitched a lot better at home this year. Verlander has allowed one or fewer runs in five straight home starts now. 11th pitcher in Mets history to do that. That's the guy that you're paying all that money for. That's the ace. That's the stopper that you want at home. He's been really good. And I mean, think about his best starts as a Met. It feels like everyone's been at home thus far this year. Yeah, except that first one against the Rays. Literally. Yeah, it's the Rays. It happens. This is the best team in baseball. Come on. It does. And amazing, amazing offense here. We're just home runs sustained it. Alvarez has his first one in a while. Nimmo and Lindor went back to back. Really cool with those guys back to back in the order too, what they can do. Can we talk about these home runs for a second? First off, Francisco Alvarez hit a ball to right center field, uh, 420 feet that left the ballpark in under four and a half seconds. That's, I, I don't know if you guys know about that. There's not many of those that exist. Like if you think about guys in the league who can probably do that, I'll give you some names like Pete Alonso, John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge, and Shohei Otani. I don't think there's many other hitters that go in that group of guys that can put a ball 420 feet to, you know, opposite field. We talked about Brett Beatty doing that in batting practice. Francisco Alvarez did in the game. It was crazy to see a ball go to opposite field and leave the leave the ballpark that quickly. And then Nimmo casually hit that home run to the, the, uh, the corner, the Coca-Cola corner, which was nuts. It was just like 
casually to the to the upper decks. Another ball that left in like four seconds flat, a line drive. And Francisco Lindors as well. He got around on it, crushed it, hit it deep again. I think like 4-10, 4-15 to right center field. That was a magical inning. That was like, when you're at a game with your dad, you get a home run. What do you do? You high five him. I love giving high yeah. fives to my dad at a game. That's like such a good feeling of like, yes. Yes, they were like cathartic high fives. Of course, yeah. And, I mean, those guys are both hot right now, especially Nimmo and Lindor and, of course, Tommy Pham, who had another RBI knock in this game. He's a man on fire. He's raised his OPS like 70 points this week. It's ridiculous. And though each of those players had two hard-hit balls, it was just, that's it. Clean, easy win, the way we drew it up. Oh, 100%. Francisco Alvarez has the most home run or tied the most home runs for a rookie catcher in a single season in Mets history with Travis Darnell. It's a name that hurts a little bit, but did that in that game. And John also said it was the first time the Mets homered three times in an inning since starting a game with three straight on October 4th in 2022 against the Nationals, game two of a doubleheader. So, yeah, it's nice to get that offensive production out of this team, especially with the clean pitching. Overall, like you said, clean, easy game, no stress. And that's the first win of July. 1-0 in the month. No losses. And we have a chance to win a series, which of course you guys know that we do. But game three, I mean, we got to start it off with, with the ace himself, the man, David Peterson. In the homestand, you got two of the three wins. I mean, come on, David Peterson. Everyone, This was everyone's pariah recently. Unbelievable. David Peterson with two wins this week. And something he did this year, he did a lot last year when he was at his best. His slider was his primary pitch. He threw more than any other pitch in his repertoire. It's the only second time this year it's happened, though, and that was amazing. And another thing that was really critical with David Pearson this start, two times in the order, and then you're out. A lot of people were upset yeah. as the bullpen was getting pretty shaky in the mid-innings that Pearson was, like, cruising and he only threw 60 pitches. It's kind of the reason for that. He can only, you can, I mean, like, as David Pearson right now really tries to get himself reacclimated, really figure out how he's going to be a pitcher again. Like, you, if you can't let these guys see him more than two times. You, you just simply, you simply can't do it. And I do applaud Buck and the team for having him get exactly two times around the order and then yanking him. Another thing that Peterson done this week, too, that I think is interesting, is he's taken a lot off of these pitches. It seems like he's taking him off these pitches, and I think the slider command was much better on Sunday night. He was really picking off yeah. that um that low and outside corner against the righties then be doing the back foot berry thing. And that was something that I think where he struggled was maybe trying to overthrow that pitch and just throw it, and that's how it might have been left over the plate a little too often early in the season, taking a little bit off picking off those corners, getting the whiffs when they're there, and then just getting getting out while you're ahead. You talking about like taking something off of it, I think you're 100% right. Because if you're trying to snap that pitch every single time and you miss on the outside corner to a righty, where's that going to go? It's just going to go right down the middle because you snapped it. You're trying to really get on top of it or get some spin going. Where more of just like, it looked like he was pitching today. He looked a lot more comfortable. He felt in control. I know there were some times where it got a little, little close here and there, but he did mostly look in control. And for a guy who... At, you know, you can kind of tell I was pitching based on his emotions on the field by body language. Pearson looked pretty strong tonight. And like you said, those 60 pitches, that was a good job by the Mets to just limit it to that. Baby steps with Peterson. We just want good outings for now. If we can stretch him out later, if it gets to that point. But right now for Peterson to give us a 60 good pitch outing, fantastic. We love it. We talked about it last night while we were hanging out. We we're like, man, Peterson, McGill, those guys would really fit well in these kind of roles. Yeah, and we see so many pitchers and so many teams around the league pitch like this like we've seen Jalen Beeks Yanni Cherinos um tonight Alex Wood and Ross Tripling that was a Giants plan for those guys didn't go according to plan because we hit them well but like you see a lot of teams do this be like we're gonna use this guy for about 50 to 70 pitches let him go around the order twice and then move on get to the next guy and that did almost almost do the Mets in this game because again like the bullpen got a little tight in the middle of it this was the yeah John Shadows boy Ryan Yarbrough who made a career 
throwing about 75 pitch outings after the first inning to the bottom of the team's order twice. But we'll shout out also another John stat. The Mets use their most pitchers in a nine inning game in one game this season, seven different pitchers pitched in this game. And a lot of that was able to happen because the offense did sustain very well. Tommy Pham got bumped up to the two hole and had that yes. top of the order of Nimmo, Pham, Lindor, which is like, and then Pete, we're just like, yes, our best four hitters are hitting one, two, three, four. And it was amazing. Tommy Pham himself, just on national television, big time Tommy knows the moment. Big time the Tommy, old school baby. way. You take it east, two doubles, another single, two runs scored, no B.I., Got his OPS up to 892 on the season. He's now 60 Silly. points clear of the next closest Met, which is Pete Alonso at 830. The guy is having an all-star caliber season. He literally, Tommy Pham, has the eighth highest ex-WOBA in all of baseball. And Mark, for the listeners right now, oh, yeah. I want you to try and guess the seven hitters who have a higher expected WOBA than Tommy Pham right now. And just for the people at home, expected Woba is an amalgamation of your quality of contact, including your strikeouts and your walks. And he's the eighth best in baseball. Name the seven okay. guys with a better ex Woba than him. Aaron Judge. One. Shohei Otani. Two. Ronald Acuna Jr. Three. Jordan Alvarez. Four. No trick questions here. Corbin, so go through who you think it's going to be. Corbin Carroll. Not Corbin Carroll. Ooh, okay. How about um, Juan Soto? Not one so though. Whoa. Okay. Hold on. Now you're slowing. Now you're slowing me down a little bit here. Well, uh, I mean, you know, Tommy Pham's better than one so. Oh, That's Freddie Freeman. Yep. Five. Corey Seager. Yes. Yeah, Sixth. Last one is a little bit more metal. I'll give you two guesses on it, but then then we'll go. Okay. So I'm gonna go. He plays a position you wouldn't expect to have this high of an ex-Woba. Sean Murphy. Yes. Nailed it. Nice. Let's go. So the only players in baseball with a higher ex-Woba than Tommy Pham are Aaron Judge, Ronald Acuna Jr., Corey Seager, Shohei Otani, Sean Murphy, Jordan Alvarez, and Freddie Freeman. And then after so him MVP is Mookie candidates. Betts, Vlad Guerrero, Juan Soto, Paul Goldschmidt, Pete Alonso. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. The, I, the Tommy Pham All-Star Brigade. Let's get into the game. Anyone who's leaving the game this week, Tommy Pham's got to get that spot. Tommy Pham is having a legendary season right now. Me and Mike Petriello told you guys that he was going to be a difference maker. We, we freaking did it. Yeah, Tommy Pham is playing some great baseball. Where would this team be without Tommy? Super happy to see him in the two-hole where he belongs. Please keep him there. Please. The lineup looked so good today. It looks so cohesive. I love it so much. You just get you just get a lot of value out of a guy hitting that high in the order when Brandon Nimmo gets on like he does. And then you have Lindor, Alonzo, McNeil even starting to swing the bat better. It's just it looks and it flows so much better. Marcana too. Marcana's been swinging the bat really well since the start of June. Someone who I think has maybe earned himself a little bit more playing time. Got another home run tonight. Crushed it. Hit it like 375, 380. Just another good piece of hitting. And played a good first base tonight. A couple tough picks as well. Mark Hanna's just doing that thing where he's just like a valuable baseball player. Just snack, sneaky. Marky Cheerios. He's boring, but he does it. I was going to say that. He did have a nice game first base tonight. Also had another hard hit ball in addition to that home run. Two Both balls over 100 miles an hour. The home run was 107. It was just it was a good game for Mark Hanna. I also we do want to shout out John's boy, Grant Hartwig was yes. massive as the bridge between David Peterson and the bullpen. Two innings, three strikeouts, two more ground balls, one walk and two hits, but they nothing was really that that, that terrifying. Really good game for Grant Hartwig. Really awesome, awesome game. Awesome appearance, and he's had a very, very, very good first cup of coffee so far over this month. Oh, 100%. Then we got to the seventh inning after Grant, and things got a little yeah. dicey. This is where... A little dicey. Okay. okay. Got a little, uh, little on edge. Jeff Brigham came into the inning, just was not good. Brigham's been yeah. very, very shaky last month, I guess is what we can call it. Um, I don't know, James, what are you, what are you seeing? Maybe. 
I mean, I'll talk about Brigham now. It seems like now that he's gone through the league one time here, the 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 sweeper is becoming kind of kind of obvious, like when it's coming. And it was never that effective against left-handers originally. We talked about that a lot when he first started to get hit. And now he's also lost a little bit of velocity on that and his cutter and his fastball from where they were when he first popped in. He didn't throw anything above 94.2 miles an hour tonight, really. I said this to you guys a lot in the offseason. For him to be like his best self, that had to get to about 95. Still, no one touched the sweeper. Blake Sable hit the home run on the fastball, but his command is not that; it's just not there right now either. It's we're we're getting a spot. Brigham Brigham probably needs to be pulled back off the high leverage a little bit, but there is also I don't know who else is going to take those high leverage reps. It's this is, this is the world we live in with this Mets bullpen right now and this whole Mets pitching staff, where like some guys are going to be in situations that they, you probably don't want them to be in. Then Dominic Leone came in as well, gave up a big yeah. double to JD Davis, which gave you the estimate, tied it up after being down for four. And then we went back to Brooks Raley, who like probably was the guy who could have started that inning anyway to be in the seventh inning. He has been one of the best relievers in this Mets bullpen all year. You try to get some other guys in, though, give a guy an extra day because Brooks Raley has been pitching a lot, but came in very casually and got those outs when he needed to. And we did get through it, and then Pete Alonso came through and put it out of the reach of a two-run home run to give us this win and our first series victory in a month. Big day for Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso named to the All-Star team, third All-Star appearance in five seasons, technically four possible All-Star appearances. He's made three of them. He also announced live on uh, Sunday Night Baseball that he's going to be in the Home Run Derby, which is a big win for Mets fans. I feel like Pete's at his best when he's trying to hit home runs like that and being in the mm-hmm. Derby. We know he's a beast. He's won it twice. I think if he wins, wins it a third time, he might be the only person or maybe the second person ever to win it three times. Uh, it's just good. It's good for baseball when Pete Alonso's in the All-Star game. It's good for baseball when he's in the Home Run Derby, puts on a show. I'm super excited to see him out there in Seattle. Totally. And uh, he's going to be in Seattle, Griffey's home. and He is probably the most prolific Home Run Derby competitor ever. So Pete has a chance to kind of take that mantle from Griffey on his home turf, which is cool. And just Pete had his best all-around game in a while. Interesting that he did it while DHing. He had three hard-hit balls. He also drew a walk, two hits, including that big home run. It almost like it was good to see Pete, who's been – like you saw him really exalt on Friday night. He was stressed out. He let out like a, a scream between the error yeah. and then the game winning home run. Nice to see him like get this out of the boy. Um, he's going to be an all-star again. Again, like I said, third time in four years, pretty amazing feat. The only, the only Mets we could figure going back, like hand, uh, going, going back. Griffey John Tulls is the only guy with three homer derby wins. So Pete could tie him on his home turf. Just going back by hand, the only other Mets who'd made three all-star games in their first four years eligible were Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden. So, in the their careers. Yeah, it's pretty pretty good comedy for Pete right there. So good to see him get that, represent the team in Seattle. Excited for that. And even still, again, definitely a chance that we see either Francisco Lindor, Tommy Pham, Brandon Nemo, or David Robertson get nods this week as guys, you know, start some guys pull out usage, workload, injuries, with this and that, whatnot. Yeah, Lindor got snubbed. Lindor and Nimmo got snubbed. Lourdes Gurriel made it over Nimmo, which doesn't make any sense to me. Gurriel's having a nice year. By no means am I disparaging the season he's having. Brandon Nimmo's just better and also plays center field. Simply a better player. And then Francisco Lindor, we know he's a stud at shortstop defensively. He's got all the power. I know the average is down, so maybe that's what some people are seeing. But he's been just as effective as an offensive player as Dansby Swanson with a great glove. Hey, come on, should have been Francisco Lindor at shortstop. He was the, he was the other option before Arcia. Now they're like, ah, Dansby. I don't know what's going yeah. on MLB, but I'm I'm looking at you. Yeah, everyone wants handsome Dansby with his freaking hair in the All Star game with a jerk. James but, Swanson. Yeah, yeah, James Swanson. Nimmo has, I think, like eight or nine more RBIs. He has a higher OPS. He has more home runs. It's like let's 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 not like let's not try and reinvent the wheel here. But 
you, you got to do what you got to do. Pete is in there, and we'll see if any of the other Mets get the call this week. And now we got to bring this out. Mets are heading to Arizona for their next series out in Chase Field, and we're going to bring in John to give us this week's this series estimate. Johnny Boy. There he is, John. Oh, that's a that's a nice – What is that just green, John? What would you call that, like a mint-colored quarter zip? So this, uh, <laughs> this is uh, Kelly Green Ooh, okay. is the, uh, the name of the color, according to uh, the greatest export in the history of Canada. Of course, Lululemon. Um, there's not a better export from Canada than Lulu. I mean, <laughs> like Jonah Tong, by the way, big shout out Jonah Tong, made his professional debut this week for the Mets. He is a Canadian export. 2022 draft pick of the Mets. So mm. along with Calvin Ziegler, the Mets go. do have some Canadians. The Mets have not had many Canadians in their history. I can't think of and any. It was, I mean, Calvin Ziegler in the systems is a Canadian as well. Yes. And uh, it was Canada Day this weekend. I believe Friday, June 30th was Canada Day. No, James. No, 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 no. Oh, July, July 1st is Canada Day. Oh, James, come on. July man. 1st. My bad. My bad. No pride in Canada for you, huh? Oh, it was messed up. Um, yeah, the Blue, the Blue Jays suffered a terribly tough loss at home. Although George <laughs> yeah, Springer, yeah, on Saturday, George Springer did lead off the game with a homer. They rocked the Reds on Canada Day. Good look. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. But fun weekend. Wish. Uh, sorry, you guys weren't there tonight. It was it was a it was a wacky night at the ballpark, man. There was a lot of stuff happening all over the place. The rain and just close calls. I'm glad you guys shouted out Grant Hartwig. And there's more coming. You know, I've been talking to you guys about Grant Hartwig since last year. There are more big arms in the bullpen that can make an impact on this season and certainly next season. So um, a lot coming down the pipeline. But like you guys mentioned, the Mets headed to Arizona now. A big six games before the All-Star break. Huge. The Mets can try to cut into this deficit just like Mark has done. Maybe the Mets can draw some inspiration from our friend Giraffe Neck Mark coming back from his four-game deficit, just rattling off on an absolute heater. J.D. Davis with a huge double to get Mark the win. So, And I was, I was thinking when, the, when, when I, I noticed the ball was going to split the gap, I was like, I think that that might have just clinched it for Mark, and then, James, you texted it. Yeah. So that was, that was huge. Um, have you guys, by the way, decided what the punishment's going to be one way or the other? It's yeah, full. full we're going full, full kit, full jersey. Right. So we're going the hat. The jersey, the pants, the socks, the cleats, because I'm assuming you guys can let us in with cleats. I don't know if you can yeah, normally get help us out with that, cleats, yeah. but we're hoping the Mets <laughs> can help us out there and uh, some eye black for James when he's wearing it. I think it'll just be a good day. <laughs> All right. So we, well, we, dude, it does feel like we might be on a on a on a steamship towards another tie, but we'll see what happens here. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. We literally could have another tie if you guys split these next two. That's it. And then feet to strength. I guess <laughs> we're gonna have another push up contest. Yeah, we're gonna have to hit up Steamroll. Uh, Mark, have you been working on your push-up game since uh, since March? Yeah, definitely. I, come on, you see me like once a week. You know, I'm not working on my push-up game. I thought right. maybe you learned your lesson from uh, from what happened last time. I'm an agile man. I play tennis now. I'm not worried about push-ups. What about pickleball? You messing around with pickleball at all? Love, Why would I, I play a, a worse, easier version when you could just play a much harder sport in tennis? So because it's more adaptable to the common person. Oh, I, listen, I've been competing in tennis. I, I played like a game. It was like three weeks ago now because I've, I've been away for a bit. But I, I played a real good game the other day of tennis. So I'm, I'll be back when you guys are listening to this. I'll be playing tennis at the Astoria courts if you want to come come catch these hands. You guys play it all together? James, you tennis at all or no? No, I'm a pickleball man. Hey, I forgot I forgot what it was like having John on these shows where we just start talking about stuff. Like forget we're on a podcast. 
we're winning. We're we're winning. We can have one of these. That's what you do on a podcast. You got to weave in and out of the topics. That's, that's exactly what you do. I'm here Johnny to try sound to get, waves. That's right. I'm here to try to get you guys out of just the box score. You know, we, Johnny uh, chaos. That's right. That's right. I have chaos going on, and my yeah, I I actually do need to speed this up for my own uh, personal benefit here. So here we go. Mets going to Arizona. July 4th, a 4 p.m. game for all the fans. Enjoy your barbecue. By the way, I asked you guys this last year. I think if you're going to the barbecue, right, yeah. you're, an in, you're a guest, and you're told you got to bring a side, what side are you showing up to the cookout with? <sighs> got to bring a side. This is, this is kind of funny. A lot of times when I'm told bring a side, um, um, what I'll do, and it's, it usually goes over very well to cookouts, I'll just bring like a great burger topping. Like I'll just bring a pack of bacon. And just wow, be like, okay. throw bacon. That's not, throw, that's throw that's not bacon. a side. I know, but I'm it's like, that's, side, that, yeah. that's what I'm bringing in lieu of a side. Like, throw some bacon on the burgers. Like, that, one, that one's like, oh, God, that's for the team. What if it's a kosher um, barbecue oh, and then that's not an good option? Point. Don't say turkey. Yeah. No, definitely not. Uh, kosher barbecue, what, what's like a side? What's a preparable side I can make? One of my favorites that I can make, but it really just depends on if it's available at the store. I make a mean pineapple pico. Where Whoa. I take, I use my pico de gallo right. recipe, take like 90% of the tomatoes out, replace it with like very, very finely cubed pineapple. Delicious. Hmm. Little chip Mark. and dip in the beginning. See, James kind of stole my thunder because I'm a salsa man. James has seen me make some salsa. <laughs> yes. I make, some good, I make some good salsa. I make a really good salsa verde. So that's what I'd be hitting. It's nice and fresh and Refreshing. Yeah, because like I mean, otherwise, nice like I'd I'd love to bring like a good potato salad. I'm not gonna make one. I can't make that as well as the deli. But like good potato yeah. salad, like yeah, I'm I'm more of a coleslaw man than the average man. But like the average person, slaw's the best. Yeah, slaw's great. I do like slaw on a lot of on a lot of like you know barbecue goods. But if I'm making it, I'll go with that pineapple pico. James, can you just uh, can you just do me a favor? Can you say uh, pico uh, whatever? Can you can you say it again? I think I heard you say it and. Uh... Just say it again. Pico de, pico de gallo? Okay. That's not, that's not you, you said, said de gallo the first time. You said time. de gallo. Did I really? Gallo, yeah. gallo plays for the twins, James. That's a different thing. Pico de Joey. Yeah, that's also not a side. So you kind of whiffed on both of them, but it's all good. <laughs> that's not a side. That's a side. You're crazy. Just catch pico, it a, we're, bring, we're bringing much more fun sides than the average schmo at these barbecues. I'm totally with you on the slaw and, and the salad and the potato salad. You guys old enough to get the... Uh, they got sand in the potato salad rocket power reference or I know rocket power, of course. But do you know the yeah. reference? Well, I so didn't come to my head immediately, no. No. Wasn't wasn't devout. Oh, well. Not old like you. All right. Well, those are bad barbecue sides. Not even sides, but anyway. Arizona Diamondbacks. I want you guys to tell me. And this could really have an impact us on uh, on us on Thursday. Yeah. What will the latest time be of the final out? Of one of the two night games, obviously, Tuesday's game is going to end probably in the 7 o'clock hour. But we got two 940 starts, and these two teams play long games. Yeah. Entering today, the Mets average the third longest nine-inning game. Arizona averages the sixth longest nine-inning game. And at Chase Field or whatever it's called, I still call it Bank One Ballpark, massive gaps, everything drops in, huge, crazy run environment. We could be in for many hours of baseball. So you guys tell me. You guys have uh, writing utensils? Yeah, I got writing utensils. I, I got to do got some math here because we're rocking Eastern Standard Time for our score, right? Yes, yes we yeah. are. Yes, we yes are. day. Only time way to do calculate. it. I need a time calculator here real quick. Time calculator. What are you trying to calculate, Mark? You can't do I mean, I'm just trying math? to fi- – I'm just – there's just a lot of conversions a going three on. Three-hour game is 1240. 
Oh, like you know what? I'll work backwards. On. I'll work backwards. I like where your head's at, John. I'll work backwards. Yeah. So backwards. give me that. Uh, okay. Yeah, I got my number. I got mine as well. While you guys write this down, just a PSA to everybody out there. Please keep your pets safe. Keep them mm. comforted during all the fireworks, fireworks okay. on July 4th. It's a big thing. I thought you were about to Bob Barker us. <laughs> it's very, very important. So make sure that those pets are feeling safe. Make sure there's no ways for them to escape your house. Not a happy time for the pets when the fireworks are going off. Speaking of fireworks, you too. You got yeah. your answers? I got my answers. Yes. James, you well. ready? Yep. All right, here we go. And please say them also for obviously our, yes. our listeners. Three, yeah. two, one. Bang. All right. Well, 1257. 1237 for Mark. 1257 for James. Here's what I'll say, James. I dove deep into the, the bowels of what the Diamondbacks do for games. They've only had like six or seven games go over three hours. Most of them hover around that 250 mark, which is where I got the 237 from. I took seven minutes off of three hours. Okay, I'm expecting one to go over, one to go over three hours, and then I'm happy. I'll get just in case there's one extra inning game, I'll get one of those. And a big part of this too is now as we transition into the Diamondbacks preview. Thank you, John, for estimating. Thank you, John. Fourth of July. Say hello to your daughter with your Pico de Gallo. Pico de Gallo. (laughs) Feed your daughter on time, please. A big, big, one of the big reasons I did pick that late time is because Thursday night there could be a bevy of pitching changes. As we get through these matchups, Tuesday is going to be Kodai Sanga versus Zach Davies. Wednesday is Max Scherzer versus we not sure yet for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Thursday is Carlos Carrasco versus Tommy Henry. The Mets are on an amazing streak right now of missing the team's ace that they are facing. And I'm really, really, really enjoying it. We, we missed Corbin Burns. We missed Aaron Nola. We missed Logan Webb. And now we're missing Zach Allen. So that's a crazy, crazy run we're on right now. And as, as it lines up currently, we're missing our boogeyman, Yu Darvish, in the San Diego series. We'll see if that holds. But... I think that part of the reason I picked that time was because that game on Thursday, there could be could be a slew of pitching changes between Carlos Carrasco and Tommy Henry. No, 100%. That's where my mind was and at. I mean, this Diamondbacks team, for those of you who maybe are just uber-focused on the Mets, they're really good. They're one of the best teams mm-hmm. in baseball. They're currently 50-34, first place in the National League West by a pretty good margin. And you just look up and down this team, you look up and down this roster, talented players everywhere. Corbin Carroll is the biggest one. He should be back. He got in that bat on Sunday. After having a little bit of an injury, he has the day off, should be back for this series. Unfortunately for us as Mets fans from a results side, but from a baseball-loving side, I mean, Corbin Carroll is one of the most exciting players in the game, not to mention he's also 22 years old, having an MVP caliber season, 17 homers, 20 doubles, 24 stolen bases, 40 RBIs, 900 OPS, and he's a phenomenal outfielder with crazy speed. He's just sick. Definitely, for all you baseball purists out there, go on Corbin Carroll's Baseball Savant page and check out his spray chart from this year. As someone who's not a switch hitter, it's one of the purest, most beautiful spray charts I've seen on a hitter this entire year. All fields, power. He's had home runs to left, center, and right. He has doubles in every single gap. Tons of infield singles because he's a really, really, really fast dude. So I think one of the five fastest players in all of Major League Baseball right now. He's a revelation. And one of the coolest things about Corbin Carroll is that he had a devastating shoulder injury. It looked like it was really going to derail his development as one of the top prospects in baseball. He missed all of, I believe it was basically 2021 season. He only played seven games and popped his shoulder right after missing a whole year of development due to COVID playing professionally. And he came back in 2022, played two games in the complex league, and they were like, just go just, just, just go back to double A. We don't, we don't need to see anything else in this complex league. And 60 games there, 
He was 66% better than league average as a 21-year-old with 16 home runs, just absolutely ripping the cover off the ball. And then he ended his year with 30 games in AAA, and he, again, he was incredible. Got a little cup of coffee at the end of the year last year, played 30 games in the majors. Looked like he very much belonged, even though it was a little harder for him to tap into his power as a 5'10", 160-pound, um, 22-year-old. Actually, at the time, 21-year-old. Yeah, at 21-year-old when he debuted, also coming off a shoulder injury. That's usually very scary for power. We've seen Josh Young take a full year to recover off a similar shoulder injury. Not sure if it's his lead shoulder or his trail shoulder. I feel like if it's your lead shoulder, that would be more difficult to like really get that power around. But Corbin Carroll looks like perennially one of the best players in baseball. If Ronald Acuna wasn't having statistically one of the most impressive seasons in the history of the game, he'd probably be one of the favorites for the MVP right now. He's 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 a marvel, and it's it's going to be a joy to watch him play. Yeah, Cattell Marte is also back to being Cattell Marte. He's hit for power, having a all-star caliber season. Don't know how he didn't make the team. He got snubbed. I assume he'll be one of the first uh, fill-ins for whenever people uh, bounce out. But he's having another great year. Christian Walker mashes. I mean, he's a fun baseball savant page to look at, too. You can take his and Mike Trout to put them next to each other. You really don't know the difference, which I know sounds crazy. But that's just kind of how they play. Like, Christian Walker's really, really good. Geraldo Perdomo's pesky. He does not hit the ball hard, but he gets results. I mean, he gets on base. Hits the ball well, good fielder. You have a lot of really good athletes on this team too. One in particular I want to highlight because I have a fun fact about him is Jake McCarthy, and I guarantee someone on SNY is going to say, actually, you know, I guarantee Steve Gelbs tells this story. So all of you know that I'm saying it first before him. I knew this. Jake McCarthy was a prolific, prolific high school running back in the state of Pennsylvania. So prolific that I believe it was either his junior or senior year he was first-team All-State running back in the state of Pennsylvania. You know who is second-team All-State running back? Tell me who. Saquon Barkley. Yeah, one nice. of the best running backs in the NFL. Jake McCarthy was better than him in high school, a guy who went to a full ride to play at Penn State, top-five pick in the NFL draft. Jake McCarthy was simply a better running back prospect coming out of high school. He's not that great of a baseball player. He's really athletic. Not does a bad. lot of fun things. But he, uh, he's a crazy freak athlete. I'm sure you'll see him do something spectacular defensively or with his legs at some point. Totally, yeah. He's a very fun player. Alec Thomas also just got the call back to their major league squad. He's a very fun player. Good athlete. Hits the ball hard center field. Hasn't put it all together yet, but he does a lot of fun things. Kyle Lewis is probably one of the most impressive athletes in major league baseball, but also just lacks a little bit as a baseball player. Evan Longoria has been playing for them in a, limited, in a limited role to demolish his lefties. We're definitely going to see him get a couple of bats this series. He's hitting the cover off the ball. Gabriel Moreno and Carson Kelly are a fun catcher tandem. Kelly is just like the consummate like pro catcher. He looks like catcher. He acts like a catcher. He's just, he is a catcher. And then Gabriel Moreno came over for them in the trade that brought Lourdes Curiel sending Dalton Varsho to Toronto. He makes a ton of contact. He's incredibly pesky and a very, and a plus athlete from the catcher side. And he's fun. And the one Nick in this team's armor, kink in this team's armor is that their bullpen isn't great. It's really not bad and has been much better than expected this year. And a big reason for that has been a three-headed monster in their back end, which was th three guys who are, who are making no money at all, doing nothing at all. Two names are going to really enrage Mets fans. One of them is <laughs> Andrew Chafin, and one of them is Mikel Castro. <laughs> and then the one who's actually the closer, Scott McGough. They, um, Andrew Chafin is 30. What? Mikel Castro is 28? Yeah, what, did you think he was older or younger? I thought he was like 32. No. You thought he was the same age as Julio Tehran? How is he 28? When did that happen? He's not that old. He just went to free agency for the first time. That's six years in the league. He threw 100 miles an hour, so he came up with it early. 
came up when he was in, when he was 20. I never realized that. Oh my God. He's almost, he's played nine years in major league baseball. He's 28. Yeah. 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 I don't know what to say about that. I mean, Mark's Mark <laughs> shocked crazy. by ages. Andrew Chafin's running a 35% strikeout rate right now. He, uh, I know he changed pitch mix. I want to double check to make sure I get this right. It's loading on baseball savant right now. He's just been their lefty stopper. He comes in and gets every single lefty out. He got some saves early in the year as the closer and his whiff rate has completely skyrocketed this year. Way past ever been. He's just stopped throwing his four seam fastball and is throwing a lot of sinkers and tons more sliders. He's thrown his slider, uh, from two years ago. 12 percentage points more than he was then. And it's a good pitch. It gets a lot of whiffs. 61% whiff rate on that because he's basically only facing lefties with it. It's really just confusing, guys. No more, no more, uh, you know, well, 90 mile an hour forcing fastballs, which is which is a good adjustment for Andrew Chafin. But they're a team that is really winning on the edges. Shout out Brent Strom. He's a fantastic yeah. pitching coach. They've Stop. really installed an incredible regime there over the last few years with um with I think uh was it Mike Mike Hayes, I think it was the guy's name, who was Mike the, Hayes, with the Red Sox yeah. for a year. Yeah, he's been their president. They have a very good farm system. They have just really good player development, the minor league and professional level. They're getting a lot out of hitters more than other teams are getting out of them pitchers as well. And their team, their team that's really on the rise right now, one of the best teams in the National League by record, by everybody, my most stats as well. So this is good. work's going to be cut out for us in this series. Got to play them tough and got to work hard to win this one. Yeah, final two fun facts about Mike Hazen. Played in the minor leagues for the Padres under the name Sean Hazen. So interesting that mm-hmm. he now goes by Mike. Also from, went to Princeton. Smart boy. Smart boy. Yeah, I mean, they all are. He's the president of baseball operations. I'm, I'm sure he is smart. But <laughs> I think that's all we got for this one. Also, shout out my friend Christian. He's a minor league scout on uh, for the Diamondbacks. Shout him out. Yeah, sh- shout out everybody. Shout out everybody. It was a positive episode. It was a happy one. Mets are playing good baseball in the month of July. Let's keep it rolling one step at a time. We are eight games away from me and James eating pizza live on the podcast. If they do win 10 straight, we'll be happy to do so for you guys. We're just really willing to give up that that intestinal health for the Mets to get hot or really hot, whatever you want to call it. So make sure you guys are rooting along and letting us know as we get closer and closer if it happens. But all we want is good baseball here. Keep on winning games. Keep chipping away. And we'll, we'll worry about what, ha- what we have to worry about when it comes to that time. Otherwise, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. You know the drill from here on out. Make sure you're following us on all our social media, at MetsUp, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel for the video version of this, and download, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff to our Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Odyssey, so that you can help grow this podcast with us. We really do appreciate it, guys. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And me at Giraffe Neck Mark with a C. It's underneath our faces. I, I feel like we could, should say that. It's underneath our faces if you're watching the YouTube video. That's all our social media. Follow us. We appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for listening and watching. And we'll catch you after the Dimeback series. Peace out. Enjoy the 4th of July. Peace out. Happy 4th, everybody. <laughs>